Hi, I'm Mo Maduro, and this is the Life Expansion After 50 podcast, providing insights and support for your life expansion and self-actualization journey. Today's episode is Rising Above the Line, that artificial limit that can seem impossible to cross. Now, this episode, I'm doing some illustrations. It might be more convenient to follow along if you can watch the video. There are video versions of the podcast on both Spotify and YouTube. It's in the podcast, Look for Life Expansion After 50. We'll be talking about getting above the line. In order to self-actualize, you're probably going to have to get beyond areas where you've been before. So there are things that keep us from self-actualizing. And by definition, self-actualizing, you're going to be operating above the line. One of those areas is habits. So 95% of everything we do is done by habit. I was teaching that back in 1980, but I've seen the number as high as 99. I've seen it as low as 50, but those were definitely outliers. You see once or twice here or there, but 95% is the generally accepted uh, number, percentage of what's by habit. For context, I don't think I ever want that below. I don't know what it is. Is it 30%, 40%? Because I don't want to learn how to have to relearn how to drive a stick shift or how to brush my teeth. I don't want to have to relearn those things. So doing some things by habit, I think is, it makes a lot of sense. It's just that we shouldn't do everything by habit. And in my opinion, it's going to get even worse now with what's going on with artificial intelligence. It's bad enough that for the last 10 years, the internet's just been kind of regurgitating itself. The amount of eBooks out there or the amount of content out there that's really just the same content because your people are paying virtual assistants to write the content and the virtual assistants are going out to the internet to do the research. So it's just been regurgitating itself over and over and over. While artificial intelligence does have a leg up, it's super powerful, but it is limited because of the lack of depth on some of that information. If you think about the, the frequency or the intensity, how, how many people like that or share it, those are always gonna move it up in the algorithm. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right. So I think it's more important for us to be more conscious. And as you look at this idea of 95%, if that's 95% is by habit, and you got 5%, that's the, the conscious mind. So when I use the example of learning how to drive a stick shift again, I don't, I don't want this number to get, but so 30 or 40% probably. But it's more important that I'm using my conscious mind to make decisions as to what's by habit and what I'm going to engage in so that the cognitive biases are not running my life. Uh, there's a cognitive bias, the one that I think that got me focused on studying and understanding cognitive biases. And it's this one of, it's, there's a confirmation bias, but there's a subset of that where if you hear three things that are undeniably true or that you believe to be undeniably true, you will have a high propensity to believe the fourth thing. The difficult part is that once you've crossed that threshold, it would take you up to 11 exposures of counter information to get you to doubt that source. Now we've seen this, I mean, that's how conspiracy theory theories take off. Two or three things that are undeniably true, the fourth thing is automatically believed, and now that person has become a very critical source in that person's mind. It makes it very difficult to, to get out of there. So if you think about artificial intelligence, you may remember uh, the movie with Will Smith. It was about priming a con man, I think it was, but they had an example of priming. Priming is really, really powerful. Robert Cialdini has a book, Presuasion. I saw him speak in 1990 when, after he wrote his book, Influence. You've got to read these books. If you're only going to read one, read Presuasion. 
but I definitely recommend reading both of them, Influence and then Persuasion, because I think the two go together nicely. But the short version, and if you want to get really deep into it, read the book by John Barge, that's B-A-R-G with an H, before you know it, because he's done some really hefty studies on this priming. It's just beyond what you can imagine. And, and, and the reason this is important is because AI is, of course, going to leverage it, because as a marketer or an advertiser, I want to get people to take action in a certain way. And that's the whole point about the influence and the persuasion is he is that Robert is actually showing us as consumers, at least in influence, how we can guard ourselves against falling into those traps. And then in persuasion, it's more about the whole understanding, workplace, family life, what you do two and three days sometimes, two and three days before can have an impact on the result of that second or third day. So anyway, that's why it's important, I think, to expand the conscious mind side. You got the conscious mind here and the subconscious here. What would be great is if I could reduce the unconscious or the habit, and I'm using unconscious and the, the habit side, as you can see, as an equivalence, because the reason why we do it by habit is because the subconscious is driving that. And then we have the conscious mind here. It makes this harder, and then let's say this is uh, 50%, we'll just call it 50 and 50. That would be 10X on the 5%. So if I just took 5% and went to 10%, I'm actually doing myself a big favor. Again, I don't think it's something that you wanna to get to 100% on the conscious side. There's a big reason for that. On the unconscious, and I'll use unconscious and subconscious interchangeably. Same thing. That means the same thing in the way I'm talking about it. The unconscious can process 11 million bits per second. That's a tremendous amount of information. The conscious mind can only process 50 bits of information, bits per second, bits per second. And this is why the unconscious has the tactical advantage over, over the conscious mind. And this is how you can have two or three witnesses see the same exact thing but talk about it completely differently because it's where you're focusing on. Where your conscious mind is focusing on, where you're paying attention to, that's what you're gonna be picking up. The unconscious, because it can process so fast, 11 million bits per second, it holds the key to understanding why a lot of things happen. Anxiety, for example, and anxiety gets triggered and it just takes off and you're spiraling before the conscious mind even knows what's going on because at 11 million bits per second, there's no delay in terms of that information coming in, but on the conscious side, we have a reaction time of about seven tenths of a second. So during that seven tenths of a second, the unconscious has already seen it and is making neural connections. And that's how we can get anxiety. We don't even know what we got anxiety about. It's something that got picked up. So this is important. And it's why you don't want to be doing everything with the conscious mind because it just can't process as fast. But at the same time, you want to be choosing what you what you're doing what what you're doing with the unconscious what you're doing with the sub with the, the conscious mind. I'm gonna talk about this idea of above the line, above the line living. Think of it like a plateau in sports or fitness that just lasts, it could last a whole lifetime. So I want to get into it because there is a science behind why that line is there, these artificial ceilings. And there's also a process to get beyond it. Now, I know it's been tackled with a lot of things, belief and faith, law of attraction, manifestation, all this, but I wanna explain it in simple terms or I should say practical terms. So essentially we have this line that 
becomes an artificial ceiling. Now, if you want to think about it like weight loss, a set point, of course, is going to be reversed, right? Because it's a it's that limit below. It's hard to get below a certain weight. But for sake of conversation, I'm just going to call it all above the line. And you can think of it as a level of fitness. So what happens is we bounce off this artificial ceiling. And it's just difficult to get above it no matter what we do. But what's interesting is you know, there's another line. When we get to that other line, and let's just say we're thinking about it in, let's say you're in sales and it's a certain amount of money that you want to make each month. It may be hard to get through that barrier, that artificial line, that artificial ceiling. But on the other hand, when you start, your sales results start going down, you kick into gear and you do whatever is necessary to climb back up. We have the skills to get on that up, upward trajectory. What's difficult is to sustain it and then carry it above the line. There's a concept I like to think about, and it's you know, you're going along and everything is fine. And then something happens and we get knocked off and we start going down. And this happens, it's a cycle, right? Uh, you hit a certain point and, you know, if you're in business, you've seen this happen more and more. And I would say it happens even more frequently lately. It's been speeding up. But it could be a geopolitical event, it could be something internal, it could be a family event, whatever it is, some shock happens and we end up taking this, this nosedive. Now, if you think about it in your personal life, there's an idea of, I just wanna get back to where I was. I just wanna get back to where I was. I want my life back. And you may get there and then you're happy again. And you'll go on, you'll go along until bam, and it starts over again. The ideal way that it should work is as you're getting to that point where you, where you get the reversal, you go down into the valley. And the work, the inner work happens in the valley. It's the valleys where we get stronger. And then you use that energy and you come up to another peak and then you, you repeat. Now, I used to teach this in the, in the idea of when you get to this peak, as you're climbing it, you can't see this one. But once you get high enough, you can see this other peak, and then that becomes your new goal, but you go down in the valley. I've evolved my thinking, and the way I look at it today is that these valleys, this is the necessary resetting. It's almost like seed time and harvest, where the seed has to go into the ground to build a new tree. And the reason I use seed time and harvest is because about energy. You've got some energy, and now you're going down in this valley Energy doesn't get destroyed or get created in a closed system. It transforms. So that seed is like energy. And think about it, a little seed can create a huge tree. It's that transformation of energy. So as we're going down into those valleys, we have to shed some things and pick up some new skills. And it's a seed time. That seed is becoming, has to shed itself and become something different in order to come back up and become that tree. So if you look at it like that, the work, inner work happens here. Sometimes I think it's hard to let stuff go when you're going down. We want to hang on to everything, sort of like this model getting back to the life that we had rather than letting it go because the ideal situation is you go down here and you get stronger and you start coming up and you use that momentum to, to take off, right? And then you climb. So anyway, that's not typically what happens. Let's get back into this 
uh, upper limit. So here's what goes on. So we try to go above the other upper limit. And then people put in effort and they do some work to cross that line. But they don't see the results of it. What I will tell you is that you're actually starting to raise your floor. You're raising the floor, raising the floor, raising the floor, and eventually you'll be able to break through that line. But what happens is people don't realize they're raising the floor. But let's say a person is trying to reduce the amount of anxiety. They may, it may not be completely solved, but what they would notice is they have less episodes each week. Or let's say you're trying to increase your sales. You may not be able to hit that monthly number, but you might notice that, hey, I'm actually doing an extra half a sale per week, or perhaps my volume is going up by a certain amount each week. So these small increases are actually leading towards breaking through the line but we tend to give up. Same thing with dieting. If the person goes on a diet, they may work for a while and nothing's happening, or they get to a set point and nothing's happening and they give up. But if they go through and you talk to these people who lost 100, 200, 300 pounds, they're just stuck with it. They stuck with it and after a while, some momentum caught up, but it takes time. It took time to get there. It's gonna take some time to go through. Uh, meditation, I think, is a great example because people will meditate and they really don't see the benefit. They don't see any change. So they stop meditating. Whereas the folks who've actually gotten some success from it, they swear by it, there are people who will not give up their meditation time for anything because they recognize how important it is. I think it was Emily Fletcher who said, Gandhi said one day he had so much to do, he better meditate twice as long. And that stuck with me because she also advocates the purpose is not to get good at meditating. The purpose is to get good at life. And when you make that connection and start meditating that way, this concept of raising the floor makes a lot of sense. And then you can break through. Now, there's something else going on with this breaking through. You see that line on this drawing is just a line, but it's more like crossing a river. And this is what makes it hard. It's becoming, it's actually the be, do, have. So if you live life out of a paradigm of have, do, be, it's that once I have X, Y, and Z, I'll be able to do these things. And when I can do these things, I will become that person I want to become or I need to become. But when you live out of a be, do, have paradigm, you first become that person. That's that seed. That seed going down in the valley has to become something different before it could spring into the oak tree. So in the be, do, have, you first have to become, and then you can do, and the have comes later. So part of the challenge with above the line is where we've got the cart before the horse. You have to become, and then we can do and have. Let's talk about this. I said just now that it's more like crossing a river. So let's say that we've got, this line is actually a lot thicker. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna take a super long time, but it can. I think six to nine months is, an is a reasonable amount of time to get through this river. And the reason is because it takes some inner work to do it. It took a long time to get there. Somebody's 50 years old. If you're like most people watching this video, I was targeted for people who are 50 or over. If you're like most of the people watching this video, it's taken you a long time to get here. It's not something that's gonna happen overnight. And because this is uncharted territory, it makes it even more difficult. So there are a few things that have come into play. One is conditioning. So you may have heard that 95% of everything we do is done by habit. Now I heard that, I, I was teaching that back in 1979, 1980, and it hasn't changed. No one, no one's coming. I did see a study that said it's closer to 50%. I also saw a study that said it's closer to 99%, but generally speak, and it, you know, who's counting at that point? 95% of everything we do is done by habit. It makes sense. And it just plays out over and over and over. So part of what we have to do is take control of that. 
David Goggins talks about it as the body has the tactical advantage over the mind. I'll get into why that's so. The second thing is beliefs. Now the beliefs, if you believe that you just don't have what it takes or you're not worthy or that it's not available to you, it's gonna be very difficult to cross that. So again, this is the bead you have. You have to become somebody different. You have to change those beliefs. So as we're trying to cross this river, you have some cognitive dissonance is gonna happen because your beliefs just don't line up. You're gonna have some triggers, triggering you into a fixed mindset about that topic. And you'll have your normal conditioning, your fears. And while we talk, we talk about things like fears and triggers, fixed mindset, and they become almost like just window dressing because people are not understanding what it really means. It's in order to change a belief, you have to go through, through some cognitive dissonance because you're letting go of something that you believe. And once you have a belief, you're stacking other things on top of that belief. So changing it takes some work. Uh, sometimes you just, when you get that fog, it's like brain fog, just go to bed, get up the next morning and you should have gone past it a little bit. You've gotten some, some, some ground on that. But part of, that's a big part of changing the belief is you have to go through the cognitive dissonance. I like to say that and think about, and by the way, anything I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. Check it out in your own life, test it for yourself. You know, the way I got here is I argue both sides until I find what I can actually stand on and willing to stand for. One of the things I like to say is that confusion precedes breakthrough. And just think about it from the standpoint, what is a breakthrough? A breakthrough is getting to a place where you've never been before. So to do that, you have to have, something's gotta change. Something about your paradigm is going to change. Your beliefs have to shift. Maybe you shift from a fixed mindset in that area to a growth mindset. Maybe you break through some, some fears or inhibitions or whatever it is, there's gonna be some dissonance, some challenge, some confusion before you get the breakthrough. I wanna talk about fears because people just say, oh yes, yeah, fear, I gotta go push through the fear. Let's look at it from the standpoint of a phobia. If you know anybody who's had a, who has a phobia, or you, maybe you have one yourself, you can see the palms getting sweaty, there's the breathing getting shallow, just by mentioning it. Let's say it's snakes. Just by mentioning snakes, the person's breathing gets shallow, they tighten up, hands start to sweat. This is a real response. And if you can look at what they're paying attention to, it closes in. You know, we call it the red mist, right? The, it starts closing in. And because what's going on is, you're going into high survival mode. You know, most of the challenges we have is because of our 50,000 year old brain, which is a hunter gatherer brain. The objective of all of this is to keep you alive, to prepare you to either fight or flight. All that anxiety kicks in and you actually have less resourcefulness when you're in that fear mode. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, just push through the fear. Because if it's a phobic response, if you've ever seen anybody having a, phob a phobic response, telling them, to ignore it or just get past it, it doesn't do anything. There are people who to seeing a therapist for decades trying to get rid of the phobia to no avail. There's a way to do it and it's actually fairly simple. And once you understand the source of it and how it works, it's, you, you'll understand why that's, why that's possible. But my point is, if you have a serious fear about something that's on the other side of that line, and it could be a belief that you got as a kid that is really not even real but you still have that belief. And then the other one is triggering. So mindset is another one of those words I think gets thrown around a lot. I wanna simplify it to either you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. It's not universal, it's about a certain thing. So a person could have a fixed mindset about 
I'm not able to play sports or I am not athletic, but they may have a growth mindset in business. They may have a growth mindset in relationships. They have a, may have a growth mindset with family. Another person may have a fixed mindset about their behavior. I just can't do that. I'm, I just won't, I, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't have the ability. That's not who I am. There's a fixed mindset. Or they can have a growth mindset about behavior. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm working on it and I'll get there. So the growth mindset, when you simplify it, or the mindset when you simplify it, is either growth mindset or fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset, you're basically arguing for your weakness. You're not gonna be able to get past that. You can't have the breakthrough if you're constantly telling yourself that you can't have the breakthrough. And then the growth mindset, it keeps you looking, it keeps you curious. So when I talk about triggers, you can have a growth mindset in an area, but get into a zone where it's a little bit challenging and that trigger kicks you back. In that case, what we wanna do is understand how to deal with these triggers. Here, what we're looking at, when you're trying to, when you're working on crossing this river, oh, in addition to the cognitive dissonance, you're gonna feel that brain fog, it triggers into mind, fixed mindset, triggers into phobic, phobic responses or anxiety, and, and then you have your stories. So you have your stories, and your stories are all the reasons why it's, it won't work, why it's not available to you. So in simple terms, let's say that getting across that line or crossing the river comes down to we have a resistance to doing the unfamiliar. And because our nervous system links up unfamiliar with dangerous, we then have a, we have anxiety, we have some fear that's associated with crossing the line, even if it's something that you really, really want because it's unfamiliar. And see, the bigger the goal, the more unfamiliar it is. And one of the things that's interesting, you know, you heard the concept, Grant Cardone talks a lot about 10X. When you take a goal that you have that's important, and you multiply it by several times, a 10X goal, even if you go 5X or 3X, sometimes that goal becomes big enough that you're willing to do the inner work to cross the river. So sometimes it's just that the goal is not big enough to do the hefty work that it takes to get across the river. But generally speaking, what we're looking at is a discomfort with the idea of stepping into the unfamiliar, stepping into the unknown. Fortunately, there's a way to do this, there's some tools. And over the last 30 years or so, we've had measurement tools available to us that can measure brain activity and actually tell us what's going on. And it really changes how we think about the subconscious, how we think about the conscious mind. But the short version is this, and this is not gonna to be to scale, but your conscious mind is about 5% and the habit, 95%, of what we do is by habit. Now this habit is being driven by the subconscious. And it's been that way for a long, long time. A couple of things that come into play. Much of this conditioning happened from ages zero, the year zero to seven. From zero to seven, we were operating in, from, in delta and then later on in, in theta brainwave, which is essentially being like in hypnosis and just downloading as a sponge. So if you think about it from a hunter-gatherer standpoint, that zero to seven-year-old kid has to get ready to hunt and gather. And, you know, by eight years old, they're contributing to the tribe. And so it makes sense that they just do a download. So they've got to figure out how to get along with people. They've got to figure out what, how to, 
what they can eat, what not to eat, what animals are more dangerous than others. That's all a download. So it's not relying on somebody telling. Remember in the early years, there wasn't even language. So this download process makes a lot of sense. The challenge now is the years that a human today spends from zero to seven is nothing like what they're gonna be spending as, as an adult. And so we have all this programming and these habits that work against us. And the good news is there's a solution. And that solution is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity says the brain we're born with is not the one we're gonna die with. The brain is very malleable. And we can change our behavior because our behavior is largely the result of neurons firing and wiring together. As we shift the firing of the neurons, we can shift our behavior. And the short version is that replacing a habit is easier to do than changing the habit. The same with beliefs. It's easier to replace a belief than to change a belief. So you can actually have two beliefs going on at the same time and let the one that you're not wanting to keep die away. It's very similar to that with neuroplasticity. The other thing we have is epigenetics, changing the gene expression. So now we know that genes can actually change the internal environment for somebody. We can actually change their health. You need only look at placebos. There are, a placebo easily can hit 30% effectiveness. Why is that? It's because inside we have the capability to do what that drug is, is, is designed or intending to do. And, and that's what the person has to believe that is going to do it. So belief is a part of it, but it's not a woo-woo way of looking at belief. It's actually understanding how the epigenetics works and then creating that environment so that that healing can happen. It's beyond the scope of what I want to talk about here, but the point is 95% of what we do is by habit. That's a choice. It used to be that we look at all of this as the mind and it's sacred, but why would we continue doing something that doesn't serve us? And that's what this work is about, being above the line and getting into the, how are we gonna use coherence and neuroplasticity and to a much smaller degree, epigenetics. Epigenetics is very important because it can help you live a long, healthy life, but in the context of behavior, and moving above the line, it's less important than the coherence and the neuroplasticity, but there will be other places where epigenetics comes in and having an understanding of how those changes work. So come with me on this journey and see what it takes to get above the line.